0: The opinions and statements expressed in the following program do not necessarily reflect those of WWDB, its staff, or management. Good day, everyone, and welcome again to another edition of Boomer Generation Radio, coming to you from the beautiful, cloudy, cold Delaware Valley and outside of Philadelphia we are being uh, broadcast on WWDB AM 860. I'm your host, Richard Address, and welcome. And we're streaming live on WWDBAM.com. And Boomer Generation Radio will be right back after our a word from our good friends at Kendall.
1: Hi, this is Kendall resident Harry Hammond. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio is brought to you by Kendall, a system of not-for-profit communities and services in eight states that advocates for and empowers older adults to reach their full potential. Please join us in together transforming the experience of aging. To learn more about Kendall, that's K-E-N-D-A-L, visit discoverkendall.org or call toll free 888-759-0128.
0: Good day, everyone, and welcome back to uh, today's edition of Boomer Generation Radio. Again, I'm your host, Richard Address. And uh, again, we're coming to you from the studios of WWDBAM 860 here in Greater Philadelphia, and we're streaming live on WWDBAM.com. And as usual, a reminder that uh, these shows are podcast on my website, www.JewishSacredAging.com. And live in the studio, and we welcome them, Rabbi Surah August, a chaplain with the Jewish Family and Children's Service here in Greater Philadelphia, and Yosef August, life coach, author, um, and a principal of Yes to Life Coaching. Uh, welcome. Welcome, Surah. Welcome, uh, Yosef. Welcome to Boomer Generation Radio. Nice to have you with us today.
2: A pleasure right. to Thank be you. here. Thank you for inviting us here.
0: Um, we have lots to talk about Um about your various uh, work in chaplaincy and in coaching your own personal journey and really how a lot of this impacts uh, baby boomers uh, longevity, our own search for meaning and purpose. And we're going to get to a whole bunch of that, I hope. Um, but let, let, let's get what your personal stories um, uh, you are of our generation um, and yet you were led into this uh more let's say spiritual work. This was not your beginning of your life's calling, as we were talking before we went on air what what just real briefly talk to me about your personal journey that led you from the business world to i guess for one of a better term the spiritual world okay.
1: well, actually, before entering the business world, I was in the performing arts world ah. which is. Very spiritual
0: also. Like the rabbinate in a way. It is.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and my work was always of a, a narrative nature and uh, introspective and, you know, looking at life's questions and putting it into a choreographic form. But when we were in our 30s, we, we began a, a management consulting business. We had teenagers. We... Both had come from fields where we didn't have very we, – we did not have much financial resources. And it was very exciting to put our intellect and to be part of this go-go world of the 1980s in New York City with investment banking and making money and having things. Yep. And
0: – Greed is good. Uh, <laughs>
1: it's addictive. <laughs> And that's one of the things I realized. The longer I stayed in the business, I was also getting involved more in my spiritual practice and Judaism. And I tried to bring more of that to, to my work. But I found that the work was really consuming me rather than my bringing that. And uh, it became when, once our children were out of college and out of graduate school and on their own, and here was life. And I – actually, for me, my mom had died. Mm. She was 30 years older wow. than me. And I figured, what am I going to do for the next 30 years of my life? And I wanted meaning. And I prayed. I actually prayed for 10 years. Mm. For the sake of my soul, what am I going to do? And I had uh, – I don't know what the Jewish word for it is – an epiphany. Right. That um, this was my path. And uh, I have a wonderful partner who was also on his journey. He'll talk about his. But um, I decided – I didn't actually decide. I, it's like my – the lights went on mm-hmm. <laughs> and that grayness that was happening, closing clarity. in on me.
0: Clarity. It was clarity.
1: clarity. It was clarity. It was warmth. Mm-hmm. And I knew it was right.
0: Yosef, what was what was – you mentioned an epiphany too. What – what was it that made you transition from that corporate, the Gordon Gecko model, to right. um, to, right. um, to to what you're doing now?
2: <laughs> okay, just just one quick thing about about uh, uh, about Zara, um, that um, it was in terms of of in in, in terms of what she's describing now. Um, There was a conversation that I overheard where somebody was calling her after she was in rabbinical school, while she was in rabbinical school, who was uh, starting a brand new consulting firm and wanted her to be the CEO. And and I remember hearing her say, yes, John, I am – in rabbinical school, then I will be a rabbi. And she couldn't be seduced by whatever the financial package was. I mean, she had already made that leap. So I just, it was really wonderful to have witnessed her, the, the determination, you know, of her, uh, the netzach and things of, of, uh, of that nature. In my own, in my own life, um, I was originally an activist, uh, and a community organizer. I went down to Mississippi. I was in law school briefly. Did legal work for the movement. Mm-hmm. So I came out of a background of that, and then it got applied into experiential training. And I went I went on a non, essentially a non-profit path in, in my work. When we created this firm, and over a period of years, um, I tried over time. My heart was yearning for something that would, at the end of the day, would would give give me a sense that it made a difference that I was here. Like, what, what really was it that, uh, made a difference? And, uh, and I really came up empty. I mean, it was so superficial what I, the kind of differences that I, I felt I made. And I tried to change my client base, uh, to, to be doing Our different issues, um, like to be working on things that had to do with minority recruiting, even for boards of directors of, you know, these major corporations. I mean, I did mm-hmm. some, some things that related to that, and I had environmental clients and – but with all that, it didn't make any difference at all. And, um, and I took myself away for a, a, a hermitage. I went away for a week and I designed experiences for myself that I ran myself through.
0: By and, yourself?
2: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I, for example, um, I think one of the things is feeling like you could be instrumental. It's a really an important life you know, thing to be able to feel. I bought myself a set of Lincoln Logs <laughs> for seven-year-olds, okay? No, I remember Lincoln okay, Logs. Okay, so okay. I but I, I had same. never learned how to make a log cabin, okay? Yeah. So here I go. I stop at the general store. I get it. I start my week off by making log cabin, okay? <laughs> I was very proud. I mean, I could still see that log cabin, but that's how I started the week. And I, then I wound up going through a reflection about what what did I enjoy? What was I good at? Where in the world could that be? And that week, I invented those bedscapes that I talked about. You know, that I've mentioned to you in the past of, for hospitals. It came out of my own experience as a hospitalized patient and taking care and being an, an, ad, an advocate for my parents and right, mother-in-law.
0: Right. So, so your tra- both of your transition, your your journeys, move from again this as we were talking before the the acquisition of material things to the acquisition of a of a sense of spiritual meaning. Uh, and two different paths and, and and luckily, the two of you supported each other
1: right um, and i I will say, Richard, that um, my becoming a rabbi was to be a chaplain. Mm-hmm. I never wanted to be a congregational rabbi. I also had the experience with our with our parents of being with them in hospitals and in nursing homes. And actually, they were very high experiences of that kind of intimate connection yeah,
0: my I think the, the more I talk to people of our generation, so many of us have had these very profound experiences with our parents um, through illness and sometimes more often than not sadly through the end of life yeah. and that 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 stays with you it makes you just can't say okay, I'll just turn the page you turn the page but the page before is always with you. It never goes away. And it does impact people. I mean, some people ignore it and repress it. But then, you know, in your, both of you, you know, the, your, your mom died dealing with your parents. Uh, it changes people sometimes. And it, I think it's part of the, the issue of moving to the desire to, as both of you just expressed, I need to make a difference. I need to do something that makes a difference in my life. Because I'm now also aware that the time, there's a finite amount of time. There's a finite amount of time. So, Surah, you, you went into chaplaincy. Yes. Okay. And you, you have started this program called a loving goodbye. I'm holding the brochure now. And what, what is a loving goodbye?
1: Well, a loving goodbye is for families who have a loved one who is, on the last leg of their life's journey, and have chosen, perhaps, not to ha- use hospice. Uh, I am a hospice rabbi. I I work with hospices. Hospices are great. It's still hard for some people to choose hospice. For them, it it seems like the word is giving up. It's not. But so I work with people to help that ending, that helping, that goodbye be meaningful, to bring light, to bring clarity to that time, to bring as much closure as we can ever have, having bad experiences in my own life, not being able to say goodbye in the way I wanted to or or not at all. Mm -hmm. And it makes such a difference. As you say, when we look back on those experiences, they shape us going forward. They shape our children going forward. So it's a very beautiful, important, difficult, challenging time of life. And so I help people through that time and then help them create the kind of memorial Funeral that's going to be meaningful for them that they that the patient themselves can actually participate in the planning of.
0: So, so you work with a family as well as in, it's a family systems issue, isn't it's it?
1: It's a family systems issue, and that those uh, circles, mm-hmm. and it makes such a difference when people have had the chance to work with someone beforehand in for the family's healing of bereavement. Because there are so many things that we hold, what? Why didn't I say that, or why did I say that? And it can. My work is to help them say what needs to be said, and uh, express it in whatever ways they need to.
0: We're speaking with Rabbi Zura August and Yosef August uh, about their work as uh, chaplain as a life coach, uh, and we'll be back with um, Surah and Yosef right after this message from our friends at Kendall.
1: Hi, this is Kendall's staff member, Sheila Sylvester. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio was brought to you by Kendall, a system of not-for-profit communities and services in eight states that advocates for and empowers older adults to reach their full potential. Please join us in Together, Transforming the Experience of Aging. To learn more about Kendall, that's K E N D A L, visit discoverkendall.org, or call toll-free
0: 888-759-0128. Welcome back to our uh, today's edition of Boomer Generation Radio. We're looking at the clouds and um, waiting for the sun, which evidently does exist in other parts of the country. Um, <laughs> it's been it's it's winter time in Philadelphia. Anyway, today's uh guest, Rabbi Tsurah August, we were talking about um your work with your program called A Loving Goodbye. You 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 work with individuals as they progress towards the end of life and families. I'm sure you have um a book full of stories. But I'm interested in 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 your work. I have found and other people who have done some of this work um that this is often an unbelievable time for reconciliation and great spiritual growth on the part of, uh, say, the adult children who are involved with their parent. And could you just reflect on that? Uh, what, what, What takes place with this spiritual journey within the family system?
1: In my experience, people come to realize what's really important to them. And the relationships, even, and and most of us have families where somebody's angry and standing on ceremony, Ceremony, people show up for each other. And it is a chance to really reflect, like, for example, you're sitting in a room Your mother is dying. There's your sibling that you really haven't spoken to for a long time. Your focus is on your mother, your relationship with your mother. And you come to realize that there is this bigger relationship with my sibling. And you have all this time. And there is this great opportunity Mm -hmm. to talk.
0: Do you facilitate some of that?
1: I do. I do that quite a bit. Um, Mostly I find it doesn't take much to facilitate it. Having an outside presence there Mm -hmm. makes it safer. And I do some prayers and some rituals that allow people to express their love, their appreciation, their sorrow.
0: Do you do this, do you do this uh, by appointment or through an organization? I mean, a lot
1: of my work, and I'm so privileged to have been working and continue to work with Jewish Family and Children's Service as their hospice rabbi. And we Mm. have a partnership we call the Jewish Hospice Network. So I work through them primarily. As I mentioned, there are some families who do not want hospice. And so I get referrals to those families privately. The bulk of my work so far <laughs> has been, um, again, very fortunately, through this Jewish hospice network that we created.
0: So if somebody wanted to get a hold of you, how, how did they do that?
1: They could call Jewish Family and Children's Service or they could call me.
0: So give me – I mean – You I want mean, a
1: telephone number? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs>
0: it's a lot easier.
1: Okay. <laughs> I mean I, I don't
0: want somebody standing what? out in the middle of uh, you know, uh, Winwood Avenue going, hello,
1: you know. <laughs> My number is 215 609 and my email is my first name, Surrat, that's spelled T as in Thomas, S as in sugar, U-R-A-H, lake, L-A-K-E, at gmail.com. That's my personal.
0: And is there a website for this program?
1: The website's not up yet. Okay, so
0: information. There will be. Look for it. Information. Information.
1: Information. I have a wonderful uh, Mira Rubin Uh, is a fabulous graphic person. I'm working with. Yes,
0: so you're 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 (laughs) coaching um, this uh, yes to life which is what you call your coaching. Walk me through that. Is, is, is it predominantly uh, baby boomers? Is it predominantly older adults? Is it predominantly people in transition? All of the above, none of the above?
2: Yeah, it's all of the above. Um, originally, I, I, was, I, I, ex, I expected and intended my coaching practice to be people who had some kind of medical issues in their life or the life of a loved one because I had written a book with Bernie Siegel called Help Me to Heal. And then I had written also a, a book called recent more recently called Coaching for Caregivers and how to how to reach out before you burn out. The people showing up were predominantly not those people. They were people who were like early thirties to. I have a client who's ninety one, working on a trilogy of books <laughs> at the age of ninety one. Good for him. Um, so, uh, I mean, seriously. I mean, no, it's really, no, uh, no. this is he's really uh, an extraordinary extraordinary person. Uh, but the, the – uh, going back uh, to the question, the uh, – but my, my intention with this work now is to be focusing in on something that's much closer to my life, which those had been, the, the medical issues and what have you, uh, to Encore because since I was 50, I've had a number of Encore careers. Uh, and so that's – those are the people that I really – I want to work with people who are curious and people who want to, 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 to renew purpose in their life.
0: So uh, we've had um, – uh, Mark Friedman was on the show about a year ago, and the Encore – I think it's Encore.org is their website. And I think he was mentioning that they had worked with over a million people – this is a year ago
2: yeah. – uh,
0: and getting them into new careers and transitioning. So what are you finding um, as people move out of, let's just say, the traditional full-time work they're 58, they're 65 years old, um, and they're looking for something, right?
2: Yeah, they're, they're, they're looking for something, and they really aren't role models. Okay, so you're, they're stepping into new territory. Yeah. You know, um, one of the things that, that – um, that when I, I work with people who are, who are – just at the beginning of that process. That's predominantly who I'm working with. Um, and um, so people um, are, in a sense, afraid of, of, of stepping into territory where they don't have a title, they don't have a role. Where's their purpose going to come from? And um, I'd like to say a, mo- a little bit about purpose. If I'm no, about to speak well, a little, okay.
0: Where are we um, going? Yeah.
2: Okay. So, <laughs> I, w- I just completed a two-year s- national speaking tour for the, nat- for the Christopher Reed Foundation's Caregiver Program, okay. And I would start off each present, th- and the- these were the caregivers of people who have spinal cord injuries who were paralyzed. Okay. So these caregivers are in there for the long term, okay. I would say, how many people in this room believe that caregivers live longer? Nobody puts up their hand. Then I would say, how many people would love to believe that caregivers live longer? Everybody puts up their hand. And I ask, would you like to hear the data? So the data is, uh, they, they found, uh, that, that uh, researchers in Chicago's Rusk Institute on, on Alzheimer's, that people who have high levels of purpose are 2.4 more, li- uh, have, have, have 2.4 times greater likelihood of increased mortality. Okay, and, and they have, uh, uh I'm, I'm saying it wrong. Yes. They have 2.4 <laughs> times less likely to develop Alzheimer's and they have mm-hmm. half the mortality rate.
0: Right, okay? right. Because, and, of pur- because of purpose.
2: Right, because of right, right, high right. levels of purpose. Right. And then David, David Roth at Hopkins, at the, their age, Institute for Aging and Health, uh, found that caregivers of people with stroke, another group of long-term caregivers, were 18% more likely to live longer. Okay, so what's that about? And we've had, he, David and I have had conversation, and we both believe that its purpose is certainly one one piece of that. So one of the things for people developing uh, considering an encore career is how are they going to find new purpose? Okay, and a, a methodology that I've embraced for this is, is comes out of these two Stanford profs uh, that wrote a book called Designing Your Life. And it's about not discovering your purpose but building towards your purpose and, this, and knowing it when you've, when, you've, when you've reached it using design thinking, okay? Um, um, because it, it can really – and it could be a very, very exciting process of, of really designing what that is and finding out. And then you know when, when you're congruent that it is your purpose now. So let me ask both of you because you
0: both in 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 your own way deal with individuals looking for meaning and purpose at various stages of their life. Mm-hmm. What's the role of fear? I'm a, I, I want to do this. I'm really afraid to do this. after all, I have a family or I have obligations, I have commitments. Uh, I need I need the money but if I if I take the risk, if I take the leap, if I really follow my passion, I really potentially could lose everything, and I really want to do it, but I'm afraid.
1: Okay. I'd like to respond to that. In a hospice, we use the term benefit or burden.
0: Benefit or burden. B-U-R-D-E-N. B-U-R-D-E-N.
1: And one of the um, things I love about chaplaincy is we help explore these issues. Mm -hmm. So to dive right into the fear, not push it away. Most people are um, working to keep people, the fear away. Mm -hmm. Chaplain walks in, you can walk right into the fear and look at what are the benefits of this risk you're thinking of, whether it's a way of thinking. And for me, it's mostly people looking at... um, what comes next? A fear that there's nothing or that there's pain or um, making decisions. So it's looking at, so what's the benefit if I think this way? And what's what's the burden? What's the burden if that's true for me? If I make this decision, if I decide to go on life support, and this includes the family too, what's the benefit of that? What's the burden? And the benefit is not just the physical Part It's looking deeply at what is the quality of this person's life. What's important to me? What's my value? So fear really brings us face-to-face with what we value, what we love.
0: And Yosef, in, 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 in that challenge that Surah is talking about, how does that translate into that 68-year-old who's looking for the encore moment And it's not at the end of their life, but it's also perhaps dealing with that same benefit-burden equation.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think, but and it's the same kind of, in a sense, it's the same kind of thing where um, it's like there's so much good information in the fear. If you unpack, it's safe, isn't it? Huh?
0: It's safe. I know. (laughs) It's 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 safe.
2: Right. Yeah. It's it's staying in Egypt. It's staying in Egypt. Yeah. 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 uh, my approach is i mean i, I work pe- with people with their fear um and we work in a lot of different ways i mean we work we totally witness it and what have you but we also play with it i mean what's the soundtrack i mean we may go on to pick up <laughs> like a that. a youtube video let's let's go on youtube and say what soundtrack should this scary scenario have and get into that and then play with it at a certain point it can't remain <laughs> so serious um but you know but there's another level to it but the the approach of helping people rediscover their strengths, okay, not only their yes. skills, mm. but their strengths yes. is is a way to where do you put your attention? You know, you're going to put your attention on, on behind you, putting your attention on uh, rediscovering. If you were if you were once um, shown you you showed uh, courage and resilience, um, it's in your repertoire. You may not have used it for right. a bunch of time. Um, so it's this you know it's that strength uh, asset, um, and
0: finding the strength is part of really in both the end of life and, and transition of life.
2: Yeah. I
0: would imagine part of both of your callings in 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 in, in what you're doing.
2: Yeah. Yes. We're speaking with yes. Rabbi
0: Tsura August, chaplain from Jewish Family and Children's Service, and Yosef August, uh, the principal of Yes to Life Coaching, a life coach and author. Um, we're going to take a little musical break as we just take a breath in between uh, our segments here uh, here on today's edition of Boomer Generation Radio. Again, coming to you from the studios of WWDB AM 860 and streaming live on WWDBAM.com. Here's a little retro music for you uh, on this cloudy day here in Philly. Welcome back to today's edition of Boomer Generation Radio, coming to you from WWDBAM 860 here in Greater Philadelphia and streaming live on WWDBAM.com. And we're back with Rabbi Tsurah August and Yosef August talking about their roles as chaplains, life coaches, uh, dealing with various generations, but specifically uh, a lot to do with uh, our generation, the baby boomers. Um, Talk to me about in your work, the role of what you see the power of spirituality is or can be, what you're finding?
1: Well, spirituality is an interesting word. (laughs) And so I will define that as the recognition that we're a part of something much bigger than our own separate lives. And as people are either ill and when we we are facing our own mortality or the mortality of a loved one, that question becomes very resonant. You know what am I a part of is this is this it? And if this is it what is what is what is my life? What do I care about? Who do I care about and then of course so all the questions about being your own personality and how you've lived your life and the bigger purpose in the world and then purpose the, the thought of well is there a bigger spirit is there god do i believe that there's ascension being all those th- theological and existential questions do come up because we realize we're not going to be here and this world as we know it will go on without us, but we still want to be a part of it. <laughs> we want to find a way to be a part of it in some way. And when I am with people and near the end of their lives, with their family, I feel this connection that is so palpable. No one wants to give that up. And so it's looking at what, how can I, how can I keep this connection? This, what I really treasure in life and let go of what I need to let go. It's that, uh, what comes next?
0: Do you think that, uh, do you find in your work as the chaplain and dealing with end of life issues that in the majority of the cases you've dealt with people, come to accept their own mortality or uh, yes, as opposed to just fighting it and fighting it and fighting it yes really
1: yes, absolutely now, most of the people I uh, work with um, well I work with them over a period of time, so that may not be true at the beginning, but eventually I do see that I there have been some people who have had what we call terminal agitation and people try to interpret it as they you know, they can't let go, they can't let go. We don't really know. But most people, and I've dealt with thousands of people over these 20 years, there comes a time when it's acceptance. Mm-hmm. Most of the people I work with are older. Right. But even the younger ones. With the younger ones, it's more of, I don't, if this is living, I don't want I don't this. Want right. uh, with older people, it's so often I hear, I have lived a good life. I am so lucky. No matter what their circumstance has been, they get to that point.
0: We're, we're being told uh, that, uh, you know, we're living longer and allegedly living better. And the lifespan in the 20th century doubled basically in the United States of America. And baby boomers are really the first generation to benefit from this. We, 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 as opposed to our parents generation who kind of push the envelope, most of our generation expect to live well into our eighties and nineties. We expect it. And, and certainly a lot of the statistics are validating that. From your perspective, from your experience, guys, what, what are the greatest challenges to this blessing? If it is a blessing, I think it is. What are the greatest challenges of, of longevity? What do you see are the greatest challenges to living longer?
2: Well, they're, they're health health and money, obviously. Yeah, are they're challenges. the two major yeah, wild cards. Yeah, okay. yeah, but, so, um, um, but the, the, the other um, part is for people to be able to have connection, to have community. I mean, that's enormously important to find a way, you know, so um, – we, we live in Mount Airy in, uh, in in Philadelphia, which is a
0: neighborhood in Philadelphia. Right.
2: And there's a, there's an aging in place organization that right. we're we'll a member of. Right. Okay. And um, and it's a naturally or you know North. naturally occurring North. retirement North. community. Right. Um, so that's, but saying that that's that's a real uh, people are, are are afraid or they're experiencing loneliness and isolation. Right. You know. Um, so so that can I mean you you lose your your mate and. Wow, does your world change? And and so how do you con- how do you maintain uh, connections with people? Um, but the thing also about um, I think we get back to purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, what is it that gets people up every day? You know, what is it that that in some way drives them? Um, and you know, I've I I know pe- people who um, you know are uh, in using this time as to be continue to be consumers you know they're not creators anymore if they ever were you know and um and, and and i have i have a sense that that really numbs people out that's not responding to your question per se right, but right. but but i think it really numbs people out the the number of people by the way who are doing anqua careers now is somewhere between 6 and 9 million right Okay, that's a lot of people who are the pioneers. Mm -hmm. So the more the more that people can start to meet some of these people, that that they show up in their lives um, and become become in some ways either mentors or role models or just, you know, people that they use as reference points. That's really important. Um, You know, I don't. uh, Well, actually, I was going to say I don't have role models and what have you. I've been interviewing some people uh, who. Have been, you know, uh, what do you call them? Exemplars maybe of that. And I think some of them you probably have had on this show. Um, it, it's, um, it's important that people can hear those stories. Well, Um, and you mentioned
0: one of the things that, that constantly has come up in my work. And there's been a, we actually posted on the website, on the Facebook page of the website in, in the last couple of months, a series of some articles that, that really deal with the impact of isolation. Yeah. And, and how, dis- how destructive it is, how yeah. destructive yeah. it is. And one of the big fears is um, w- w- I, the society does not seem to be prepared right. for the, the growth in the numbers of people who are going to be living potentially by themselves, uh, most of whom statistically are still going to be women. Right. Um, go
1: ahead. Well, I'd like to respond to that because even now – I work in a number of nursing homes. I think I work in six nursing homes also. Um and people sometimes families f- feel that their elders will be will be socialized will be better f- to be with other people doesn't when people are ill. Now I'm not talking about people who have autonomy in their daily, daily care and they and don't have dementia. But so I think dementia is one of the big problems people are living longer but then cognitively not able to take care of themselves no,
0: the, the, the alzheimer's and dementia thing is a whole other right uh, it will it, it, it will be one of the great if not the greatest um communal medical spiritual challenges in the next 20 years
1: yes it and it is and a lot of um what in fact one of the Another reason that I got into this work was uh, being in nursing homes and seeing people s- storehoused, warehoused. Warehouse. Uh, we had a wonderful woman in a group. We ran a group for seven years um, before we got into this work in a nursing home, and one woman there, Millie Molly, would say, This is God's waiting room. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, that's beautiful. But what she meant was, we are just waiting. So I think that that lack of purpose, that lack of, 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 of of impacting our families, you know, if we put it away, when I ask people, what are they grateful for? And we do this all the time. My family, my children, what do you want? I want my children to, and they, they rarely see their kids. They get the phone call, so that kind of isolation is very, very painful. And I don't know what can take the place. In fact, I had a dream last night. My God, of living with family rather than living in a nursing home. Well,
0: there's a there's a whole movement. It's we just posted the Sunday on on the web on the Facebook page of the website. This rather interesting article that appeared in Sunday's New York Times review section. And that's Sunday, the the 29th of January, written by an architect, um, talking about the real need um, and growth in restructuring housing models for baby boomers Mm -hmm. as we age, Mm -hmm. um, specifically because of the needs that we're talking about, about decreased mobility, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, it, it, it all – it's a holistic it, – it flows together. It, it all flows together.
1: I have to add this one other thing that pe- when I ask people to dedicate uh, the service to – and I ask them to – somebody who who's brought so much light in their lives, 90 percent, it's a grandparent.
2: Yeah, I'm not surprised. Well,
1: they lived with.
2: Yeah, I'm not surprised. Not surprised. Yes, Yes, sir. Yeah, well, <clears throat> well, I know that you're familiar with Bill Thomas's work yeah, in yeah. Eden Alternative and the greenhouses that they do. Yeah, he was
0: on, actually, he was on the show about a year ago.
2: Really? Yeah. Dear friend, going back many, many years. Um, the intergenerational aspects right. of what they do, I think, are, are really important to, to have that as the organic, everyday thing so people don't have enough time to be bored and to be not connected and to be dependent, you know? And,
0: and Well, I mean, you, you raised this. One of the, in one of the workshops I do on, on caregiving in congregations, uh, this last statistic I saw that's been, now I've seen it several times. Um, I think it comes from a, I know part of it comes from AARP that uh, over 20, I think 20 to 22% of people who are now active caregivers in the United States of America are between 18 and 35 years of age. Wow. So yes. there is this growing intergenerational mm-hmm. – um, I, I, we, I use the term club sandwich generation yes. because of there's mul- there are multi generational <laughs> right. For those of you who are familiar with New Jersey diners, the, the, <laughs> the club sandwiches are like high, high cuisine in Jersey. <laughs> but it really does speak to the fact that there's a multi-generational mm-hmm. component now because yes. we're living longer. And so many more people are actively in the boomer generation, very actively engaged with grandchildren if you yes. live – you live in the, in a general area, and that's changed. But when I saw the statistic of the numbers of of millennials who are involved in caregiving, mm. it was a surprise. But you know, when you kind of think about it, uh, this intergenerational stuff is, I think, a wave that's going to come come quicker, come quicker. Mm. You, you say before we start actually start running out of time, um, you're coaching. Uh, and and um yes to life coaching is the name of your coaching quote business right right and, and if somebody wants to get in touch with it, they get to where
2: yeah, they can just go to yes to lifecoaching dot com the okay. website um that'll be simple. They can go to august at yes to coaching dot com um, yeah,
0: you've done some work in an area that that has um constantly been a challenge to organizations, denominations of all faiths and that is uh, reaching the spirituality of men um and you actually run a retreat right uh, or help facilitate a retreat once a year for men what's and you i think you mentioned it before we went on there it's been going for long, long for 20 25
2: years we just had our 25th annual jewish men's retreat w- walk me through that real what what have you what are men bringing
0: to that retreat
2: uh they're bringing the truths of their lives, I mean we provide a place where people can really feel it's safety and to be we said safe courageous space that kind of an environment, so that what they're bringing is their lives they're bringing their their yearnings they're bringing their struggles they're bringing their conflicts they're bringing their fathers <laughs> they're bringing their sons they're bringing their brothers mm-hmm. i mean it is really I was there I chaired a room with my brother in law and nephew uh and it was it really. The, you know, really great kind of healing opportunities with that. Um, the, the men are coming to these retreats who uh, have had a consistent Jewish practice. Men are coming to this retreat who don't believe in God and, and have had, or have been really wounded in their experience of right. Judaism, and it's come, they're coming back in a way that's what they experience is a non-competitive, deeply accepting uh, connection with other men. So
0: we're told in popular literature. This, this may be an alternative fact, um, that women are much uh, more open to discuss their own spiritual journeys, yearnings, fears than men. And certainly in my experience, I, I have found that, that to be true. And here you have this, this group of men. Um, what opens them up? Is it the fact that they come back year after year after year and they know each other or is it just you provide a type of space where it's non-judgmental and um, yeah. nobody's going to judge you?
2: I think it's the latter. Okay, um, and um, people, many men. This is the first time they've been able to have that kind of experience. So once that that, that you know that kind of space starts to kind of get in, in under their skin, um, stuff flows. It really it really happens um and you know we we usually use thematic material that comes out of the torah portion of, of that particular week right, right. so that helps the kind of the mythic material is is really mysterious and powerful yeah, but uh, the
0: nice thing about the the scriptures is no matter what where you go you're going to find something that yeah. Touches people.
2: Yeah. So it, it does that. And we, you know, uh, Robert Bly has done his right. work with, with, uh, the mythopoetic, the grim fairy tales. We don't need them. We have plenty of stories of dysfunctional <laughs> families in Judaism. No,
0: just, uh, you have, to, you have, you don't have to worry about that. Right, right. <laughs> you but, don't have to but dig I'm saying, but we, we
2: but we, and so, so, but we embrace them. And, um, but it's 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 a uh, it doesn't take much time for I mean right. for all of those stereotypes about how difficult it is for men. Um, our starting point for this particular community of men um, was was not about supporting uh, about fighting against the oppression of women, even though that's deeply what we care about. It was re- it was redefining a vital, juicy, new kind of masculinity and that i think has attracted men right. um, to 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 be able to be together and to have energy and to dance and to you know to 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 uh uh to be in the fullness you know of who we are um i want to raise
0: one subject before we because we're actually running out of time um to bring this to some sort of sense of uh what's happening now both of you spend your life now dealing a lot with Boomers, older adults, family systems, walking them through various stages of transition. We've just entered a transitional phase in the United States of America where we're being told uh, in in significant ways to expect changes with some of the vital programs that support our generation, have supported our parents' generation, um, and really go to the heart. In in many ways of of the society, uh, Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, the ACA. Um, if these changes, to, and we don't know, sitting here on January 31st at eleven minutes to eleven, we we don't know what actually is going to take place. We ju- and that's fair. We just don't know. Uh, but if we understand what we're being told, and just reading the tea leaves. It seems that we're going to be in for some significant changes. What's people who deal with this in this population full time? Mm -hmm. What's your, what's your biggest fear, um, about these potential changes?
1: Wow. Well, I, I was in one of our local hospitals yesterday doing my work and I noticed that probably 80% of the staff there were f- fairly recent immigrants <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen with our whole our medical a whole health care uh, aside from whatever happens with the funding and how people are going to be reimbursed, the people who deliver the care so uh, I think about this a lot, especially in hospice because they've been defunding and defunding and defunding that it's going to be up to us to take care of each other more and find alternate ways. I remember once um, seeing photographs of the Warsaw Ghetto, and God forbid, they set up hospitals, they set up schools, they set up uh, places to feed people. Um, we will not let our brothers and sisters and ourselves be in such dire Straits. We will. I, I see already the a grassroots movement to take care of each other, of, of caring. So my best hope is that we will find alternative ways. I won't talk about my best bad hopes. <laughs> um, I think we are resourceful. We are – there are enough people who are smart and caring and resourceful and – what's the word you use? Instrumental. Instrumental. uh, Who who will create that. I, I have to just give a plug also to the hospices I work with who do amazing work no matter what's going on, and that's Abington, Holy Redeemer, and Mainline Health. They are fabulous. You can also reach me through them. Uh, they have been in the trenches as things have changed and changed and changed. How do we let people live, not die, live with dignity, and comfort, and support?
0: Do you sense that if if the changes to Medicare and um, the proposals of block grants, we had somebody on last yes. week who who really walked us through what a block grant is and the yeah. implications of yeah. that, and there are significant implications. Yes um are you concerned at all and based upon your experience and work that that the less the less affluent the more vulnerable of the society will actually really get hurt
2: yes oh, yeah very i mean it, it's it's uh the answer is yes yes yes, yes 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 uh deeply worried deeply concerned um the my my hope might the place that i really think that is, is going to be uh critical is the press uh, and mm-hmm. to the degree, uh, yes. not only with, you know, shutting, they've, they've, they've shut down communications coming out of different agencies. Correct. Right, correct. Mm-hmm. But that, uh, to be able to do that. And just one, one positive for me, that hearing the reports of all of these attorneys showing up at the airports, and I'm getting chills as I'm saying well, that.
0: Yeah, 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 I'm, correct. Okay. I mean, okay. but, but. Okay. You're not
2: asking, okay. No, no yeah.
0: No. And, and that is true, and we're living through that right now. But I'm uh, in, in just the one or two minutes we have left. I'm I'm just concerned, just specifically speaking to our generations, yes. and the impact, the potential impact of these changes. Because I, I have a feeling it's not only impacting. Because basically, um, when it comes to Medicare, most of our generation is going to be grandfathered. Uh, mm-hmm. But I'm also concerned about the impact of these changes on our, my children. And my grandchildren, and I'm trying to explain to my children who are in their 30s and 40s that there's a potential that that changes in the payroll taxes and the taxes to pay for this are going to really impact them. Uh, I don't think they understand it yet.
1: No. Right. No. Um, it will. I believe this was. This will be. They say seven generations. This will be an impact on seven generations. No.
2: I
0: think it will be this whole healthcare thing, which, uh, which we've started to write a lot about on the website will be the social justice issue for our generation. Yes. I mean, in all yes. honesty, the other stuff and the, there'll be plenty of people and, and the, the, the grassroots organizations hopefully will continue. And I hope the grassroots organizations on a lot of these changes that will impact human beings and the quality of their life and the quality of their end of their life. Uh, you know, if, if, if you, if you reduce funding, to hospitals and Medicare for physicians who take care of people and say, I'm not going to take care of these people anymore because I'm not getting reimbursed or not getting reimbursed at the same level, you know, their implications are are rather significant. So we are in, obviously, for – uh, some uh, very, very interesting Ruffies. time. Yeah. Rabbi Ruffies. Surah August, chaplain for the Jewish Family and Children's Service. Yosef August, life coach, author, principal of Yes to Life Coaching. You can reach uh, Surah again
1: real fast at? 215-609-7468.
2: And Yosef? Yeah. August at yes dot com, And also menschwork.org is, orga- is the organization I mentioned. Spell it. M-E-N-S-C-H-W-O-R-K, menschwork.org. So thank you very much for uh, joining
0: us here on Boomer Generation Radio. Continued good luck and success in your various callings. To all of you, before we... end this uh with a little glenn miller retro music mm-hmm. just a big thank you to all of you uh this really is the last in the series of boomer generation radio is that the sun it's coming the out no sun. It's,
1: it is, is yes
0: it? it's we must have a done mirage. something wrong or somebody must have <laughs> sacrificed something uh but to all of you uh a big thank you to the kendall people for their sponsorship for these last four years um we're both moving on and i want to thank all of you for your support Again, all these shows are podcast as archived podcasts on my website, JewishSacredAging.com. And um, we're going to be continuing with a whole series of podcasts on Jewish Sacred Aging. So we'll still be uh, talking to you, hopefully, uh, on the podcast network. So thank all of you for your support. And um, we'll end this lovely four-year run with a little um, Glenn Miller. Take care, and Stay safe.